This gospel message is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Hour, a ministry of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, a Reformed denomination that strives to be faithful to the Word of God and the historic confessions of the Reformed faith, also known as Calvinism. In love for our great God, we proclaim the Christian faith and life that is founded on God's sovereign particular grace. As God's Word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you. God gathers His church in the line of continued generations. God establishes His fellowship and His love with believers and their children, giving to them the promise of the remission of sins in Christ. In the Old Testament, God spoke the words of His covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then to the nation of Israel. That covenant was, in fact, God's intimate relationship of love and fellowship with His people. He was their God. They were His people. He would love them with an unbreakable love and dwell with them, protecting them and caring for them. This covenant, God continues with His church today as well. Today, he still carries on his wonderful relationship and love and fellowship with his elect people in Christ. This covenant was accompanied in the Old Testament with God's promise, I will be your God for the sake of the Messiah whom I will send. He will save you from sin. Because of him, you will be a people unto me. That was the promise of God's covenant then. In Acts 2 verse 39 Peter makes reference to this promise when he spoke these words to the Jews, listening to him. The promise is unto you and to your children. We consider this particular verse of Peter's Pentecostal sermon in our broadcast once again today. And that verse reads, For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. These words are significant for the church of today because they teach us how God has chosen to gather His church with each new generation. We discovered last time that whenever or wherever God establishes His church in the world today, He blesses that church by continuing to save in the generations of believers. This is how God gathers His church. He saves the children of believers. We also noticed, however, that this does not mean that God promises to save every child born into the church to believing parents. The promise of which Peter speaks is meant only for God's elect people. They alone are in Christ, and they alone can be and are the objects of God's fellowship and favor. For Christ's sake, even when Peter now pronounced on Pentecost that the promise of salvation in Christ is to you and your children, he did not mean that the promise of salvation is given to every child born into the church. God does not intend or even desire to save every child born to believing parents in the church. But this does not change the truth that wherever God or chooses to establish his church today, he gathers his people in the line of continued generations. He does that today just as he did in the Old Testament. But that is what we considered last 
broadcast. This week, we turn our attention to a second way through which God has chosen to gather his church with each new generation of believers. Peter adds that God's promise is not only given to those born into the generations of the church, but it is to all those that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. In the New Testament, the church has come of age, included in her scope is not just one nation of people, not just one race of people, as was true in the Old Testament with Abraham's natural seed. The new development of the church from the time of Pentecost is that all nations, peoples, and languages of the earth are included in the covenant. With each new generation, God prunes the vine of his church of those branches that bring forth no fruit, and he grafts others into that vine of his church by calling them through the preaching and the work of the Holy Spirit. Through that call, God establishes his covenant with those who are afar off and speaks to them the promise of the covenant, that of the remission of sins in the blood of Christ. We wish to examine this idea for a few moments in our broadcast today. We need to understand, of course, the reference Peter makes on the day of Pentecost when he explains to these Jewish converts to the Christian faith that the promise is to all those that are afar off. At first glance, we might think that Peter is speaking of people who lived in far-off lands. Some will insist that Peter was referring to the Jews of the Disipora, Jews that were scattered all over the world, many of whom were in Jerusalem at this time, for the Feast of Pentecost. But these Jews were included already in the first part of this verse, when Peter told them that the promise was to you, he was addressing them, to you and your children. Peter is definitely referring to people other than Jews, when he speaks of those who are afar off. But the impression might also be left that Peter was indeed speaking only of people in far-off lands. In other words, we might think that he refers here to the Catholicity of the church, that God would gather his people from all over the world in far-off nations and peoples. Now, this is true in a certain sense, too. People from far-off lands and nations are definitely included in those who are far off. We certainly cannot discount the truth that this was going to take place in the New Testament era. The Church of Christ would become Catholic or universal in nature. We know that to be a fact today, don't we? But what Peter meant by the terminology, and to all that are afar off, is to a people who in their former generations were estranged from God, alienated from God in their unbelief. These people were afar off from God, his covenant, and salvation. Peter means by the words afar off what Paul speaks of in Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 13, when addressing the Gentile believers. He says to them, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world, but now in Christ ye who sometimes were afar off, 
are made nigh by the blood of Christ. This is the new development of the New Testament of God's covenant. The promise of salvation in Christ, and therefore the covenant blessing, would be to those who were at one time strangers from the covenant and its promises in the Old Testament. The promise now would be to other peoples, other races, other nations of the earth. In the Old Testament, it was limited to one nation, the nation of Israel, to one people and race, the Jews. But Peter says, not only is the promise going to be to you and your children now, but to all those who are afar off. The Apostle Paul says it in these words in Romans 9, verse 26, And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Then there is this added idea too. The promise of salvation in Christ would now not only be pronounced to the generations born into the church, but God would speak this promise to others outside of the confines of his church. The promise of salvation in Christ would be published to peoples and races and nations outside of the established church in order to bring them into the confines of Christ's church in this world. Now, this new development in the church after Pentecost would be accomplished by means of the call of the gospel. Again, Peter explains, the promise is to all that are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. This phrase qualifies the gathering of the church. Only those whom God calls will share in his covenant and fellowship. Not everyone in this world or even in the church institute will receive the remission of sins in Christ. Only those whom God calls to be a people unto himself. This means, of course, that God does not desire to save everyone in this world. Christ did not come to die in order to make salvation available for everyone in this world. In fact, God does not desire the salvation of, or send Christ to die for, everyone in the church. We took note of that in our last broadcast already. They are not all Israel that are of Israel. God's promise is reserved exclusively for the children of the promise, God's elect people chosen in Christ before the world was created. Well, the same is true of those who are afar off. God's fellowship and favor, His love and friendship is reserved exclusively for those whom He calls out of the darkness of this world and into the light of salvation. Now, that needs some explanation, of course. You see, the call of the gospel goes out to all nations, all peoples, all races, all classes of men without discrimination. Since Pentecost, the great commission of Christ in Mark 16, verse 15, is carried out by the church. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is the church's mandate in the New Testament. She must go out into the world and preach. This is how God fulfills his sovereign purpose for the gathering in of the church, through the preaching. God has chosen to call sinners to repentance by sending forth men into this world, officially sent by the church, to preach the gospel. 
missionaries, those who poo-poo the preaching as if it has little importance in saving souls, ignore the clear teaching of Scripture. The preaching is the power of God unto salvation. God's word instructs us in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. To those who are called, the preaching is God's wisdom and his power to save. In the Old Testament, the call of the gospel was limited to the nation of Israel alone. Yet it was through the power of the preaching, even then, that God chose to maintain his covenant and its promise in Israel. The psalmist sings in Psalm 68, verse 11, The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. God's word in the Old Testament was published by the mouths of the prophets. But when the church came of age on the day of Pentecost, that promise of the gospel now is proclaimed far and wide by the church. Many are called by means of the preaching. It may be true that by God's sovereign direction not everyone has yet heard the gospel preached, but Christ tells us that the end of the world will not come until the nations have heard. But here is where some confusion might set in. God, the sovereign Lord, does not save everyone whom he calls through the preaching. We are told in Scripture many are called, but few are chosen. If we are to understand what Peter means here when he says, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, we have to make a necessary distinction. The church of Jesus Christ today is commissioned to preach the gospel to everyone who will hear it, without discrimination, without reservation, without hesitation. She must preach the gospel to all those who are afar off. She must preach the gospel in season and out of season to those in the church and those outside of the church. That external call through the preaching is heard by many, but to many it is a savor of death unto death rather than a savor of life unto life. They stumble at the preaching because Peter tells us they were appointed to stumble. The preaching of the gospel only serves to harden them in their sin. It does not bring many, perhaps most, to faith and repentance. But the call that Peter now refers to here in Acts 2 verse 39 is not merely the external call of the preaching, but the internal call of the Spirit in the heart of God's elect. God's intention as Lord, the sovereign ruler over all things, God's intention through the external call, through the preaching, is to cause his word to fall upon the hearts of his elect people. God does not desire the seed of the word to be sown into the hearts of everyone, mind you. He desires through the external call of salvation only of his elect. And when that seed of the word falls on the hearts of the elect, it, it, it meets with the all-powerful, irresistible work of the Holy Spirit from within, internally. In the heart, the Spirit takes that word preached and makes it effective unto salvation. That is the internal call of God through the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now we can understand what Peter is explaining to these devout Jews on the day of Pentecost. The promise is unto you, elect Jews, 
and to your elect children in your generations. God is not forsaking you and your children, but now God will also gather into his church those who were at one time alienated from God and his covenant. And they too will receive the promise. Not all of them, only those elect whom God as sovereign Lord calls by the preaching and the work of the Spirit. But these two God will graft into his church with each new generation. These two are gathered in and will join together with you as the one body of Christ. Christ, through his work, will blend you together with each other. And when these who are afar off are grafted into the church, God will continue with them in their generations too. Again, we are reminded of Ephesians 2 verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Or again in verse 16, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Beautiful, is it not? What a unique mixture. When Paul went out on his mission journeys, we are told that he went to the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles. Paul would enter a city where there was an established synagogue or church. He would preach there with the inevitable result that the Jewish leaders, not all of them, but most of them, would reject what Paul preached. Yet, among these Jews, God would save some, and he would use them. He would use them as a foundation for the Christian church established in that city. And then we find that the Gentiles were also called and brought into the church, and there was this, this, this beautiful blend of Jews and Gentiles together. There was a perfect blend of those who knew the Old Testament scriptures and those who were new to these scriptures. There was a perfect blend of those whose generations were already established in the church and those whose generations were new to the church. It's also striking that there were at times some clashes between those who were embedded in their traditions and those who were new to the Christian faith. And this is why Paul had to teach the law of liberty in the churches. Yet through all of this, the churches grew in grace and in the knowledge of God. The church of the New Testament took on a character of its own, a mature character, a character a character that was conducive to the gospel. And in this way, the churches grew in the knowledge of Scripture. By means of the Spirit of Truth, the church is now where it is today. Now, this is something to say about the character of the Church of Christ today. There are individuals and families belonging to the church that may have been born and raised in their generations in the church, they already are familiar with the covenant God has established with them and their children. They were raised in it. They've been given wisdom in those ways. These are necessary for the building up of Christ's church with each new generation. The church has much reason to give God thanks for them. But there are also individuals and families that have been gathered in from outside of the church through the preaching of the gospel. These carry with them a newfound zeal and enthusiasm for the truth of God's word. They simply do not take the truths that they have now learned and been brought to believe in for granted. They too have a necessary place in the work of the church. They are not outsiders forever looking in and never seeming to fit with those who are born and raised in the church. 
shame on that church where this might be true. God gives his church a unique blend of both, a beautiful blend of both. Both of our, of, both are of vital significance to the church. They are able to learn from each other. The one has wisdom in the ways of the church. The other has the zeal to keep the gospel new and fresh and the zeal to share that gospel with others. Together, these are able to sharpen one another in the gospel that the church will not neglect instructing the next generation on the one hand, but neither forget the need to reach out to others with the gospel on the other. God draws such members together as one body of people for the mutual benefit of one another. That is the beauty of this passage we have before us today. The early church, soon after the day of Pentecost, was yet made up of only Jewish Christians, but because of their own newfound faith in Christ, it was indeed a blessed place to be. The saints continued together steadfastly. We today, seeing the value of our fellow members in the church, understanding why God has brought us together, we must continue steadfastly together too. There's unity amidst diversity in the church. But notice these saints continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. This is necessary for the unity and fellowship of the church too. The church must always maintain the truth of God's word as taught in the scripture. Then there will be unity. In this way, God will continue to preserve and gather his church from one generation to the next. Likewise, the early church continued together, we are told, in fellowship, breaking of bread and in prayers. The prescribed way God's saints fit together in fellowship, in worship, and in prayer. May each of us understand our place in the church. And may Christ continue to gather the church from one generation to the next until he returns. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we are thankful for the church of Jesus Christ. Thankful that we can join ourselves together with fellow saints in that church. Recognizing the gifts that thou hast given to each one of us as individual saints in that church, whether we have grown up in the church or whether we have joined it later in life. Thou hast made us a necessary part of the church. May we as thy children, therefore, always give thanks unto thee and forgive us where we have failed in our calling toward one another. Go with us now in the name of our Savior. It is in that name that we pray. Amen. The gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, The Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org.